Welcome to episode 57 of the RSA Resident and Student Podcast Series, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. RSA is an accessible collaborative organization that fosters innovation, education, and advocacy for residents and students in emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Jessica Fujimoto, Chief Resident at Temple University Hospital and a past AEM RSA Vice President, speaks with Dr. Mark McGee, Assistant Professor of Emergency Medicine and Faculty in the Division of Care Ultrasound at Thomas Jefferson University, as well as the AEM Emergency Ultrasound Section Immediate Past President. Today, Drs. Fujimoto and McGee discuss changes in emergency ultrasound. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the RSA podcast series. This is Jessica Fujimoto. I'm a chief resident at Temple University Hospital and the RSA vice president. I'm here today with Dr. Mark McGee, who is an assistant professor of emergency medicine and faculty in the division of point of care ultrasound at the Sydney Kimmel College at Thomas Jefferson University. He is also the immediate past president now of the AAEM emergency ultrasound section. So welcome, Dr. McGee. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me. First off, I want to start by saying that this podcast is part of the RSA YPS collaboration series aimed at older or graduating residents and younger attendings, um, just trying to get us up to speed on what's going on in the world of, of emergency medicine. And so I think this is super important for us to talk about changes that have gone on recently in ultrasound, because there have been a few. Completely agreed. Yeah. So, so first of all, tell us about yourself and then your career in emergency medicine ultrasound so far. Uh, sure. So um, Jessica and I actually know each other very well. No, I, uh, we <laughs> I trained at Temple <laughs> as well. And my love for ultrasound started in medical school. It, it, it progressed through um, residency. So I did a fellowship in emergency ultrasound at Jefferson, graduated from that last year and stayed on at Jefferson for the past year where I've been working as faculty in the division of point of care ultrasound as well as being an attending in the emergency department. And then this past year, I was voted in as president for the ultrasound section here at AAM. And I've also been involved uh, in other national organizations, specifically SCUF, the Society for Clinical Ultrasound Fellowships, where I hold a board seat com- currently there as well, given the fact, because of the fact that I'm the AAM president, or was, immediate past president now. <laughs> so it sounds like you don't know a whole lot about ultrasound. Very little, very yeah, little. Yeah. But we'll, we'll, we'll get through this together. <laughs> Maybe I'll tell you about ultrasound. I, I look forward to it. <laughs> No, in all seriousness, though, there's a lot of changes that have gone on, and I honestly don't even know them all, even though I'm a senior resident. Like, some of my co-residents applied for the fellowship, and it was all just very confusing to me. One of the big changes that happened this year was this was the first year that the ultrasound fellowship was a match, not unlike the match for residency through the NRMP. So I was wondering what effect you think this had on the application process and on applicants themselves. Absolutely. So you're exactly right. So this was the year that we we formally went through the NRMP process for for the match. It was something that TOX has been doing and EMS just joined, or I might have gotten that backwards. I can't remember now. So this was the first year that it was done. There was a lot of work put into it. One of the SCUF board members or members of SCUF, Jeremy Boyd, was actually worked for the NRMP while he was a resident. So he had a good or worked with them while he was a resident. So he had a good amount of knowledge going into it. So we went into it very well prepared. Um, that said, it was new and, and novel and it definitely changed a lot. Just for historical purposes, the way it was done before, which I am very happy for you all that you don't have to go through it, was it was a phone call. And so on match day at 10 o'clock, 
the programs were available to make a call to their applicants. And at that point, you had an hour to decide, did you want to go to that program or did you not want to go to that program? During that hour, the other programs could not offer to another applicant. Um, so if you didn't decide right off the bat when they called, you had this sort of hour where they couldn't call anybody and you could decide and make up your mind. And during that time, you could be getting calls from other programs. You would have to say no to people over the phone or you would get called by your first choice right away and you could say yes and be done with it. But it ended up being awkward to say the least. So I will say I am not disappointed that the previous system is gone. I think going to the match definitely brings the stress of being, you know, part of NRMP and the match and, you know, all the stress that we went through for residency. I think the changes we ended up seeing, um, although globally, my understanding is that the fellowship numbers were not significantly changed. I will say certain programs and programs in certain areas did feel like their numbers were down a little bit this last year. I do think that there's a component of people that, you know, think about, well, you know, I don't really know what I want to do next year. I sort of want to stay here. Maybe I'll do an ultrasound fellowship here. And I think people sometimes back their way into ultrasound fellowships a little bit. So I think probably the match is going to force people to be much more cognizant and much more mindful about going into an ultrasound fellowship. That said, it doesn't seem to have had a dramatic effect on the number of people that actually ended up applying and matching into ultrasound this year. At first glance, thinking about how it's become part of a match system. It brings back like these terrible flashbacks from residency application, but it's it's nice. It sounds like everything is pretty positive as an outcome because the old system sounds terrible. It was less than ideal for sure. <laughs> it sounds great for the applicants, less stress in that weird hour after getting a phone call. Did you notice any positive changes being on the fellowship side this year? You know, I I don't know that it ended up being all that different for us this year. I think it definitely adds that component of, you know, who are we going to get? I mean, I think before, while you couldn't offer somebody a position before the match date, there was definitely conversations which led people to be able to at least sense where somebody planned to match and I mean the same thing happens with the match right like I mean if you talk to a fellowship director and you know you guys seem like you're on the same page but it definitely puts a little bit more mystery into the process because until you get that match result you don't really know who's going to be ending up in your program so I think it probably had a little bit of that effect but at the at the end of the day I'm, I'm not aware of it sort of changing that all that much from that from the fellowship standpoint um, they always say that the match puts you know the power in the hands of the applicant and I, I think that was probably always the case regardless but it definitely makes I guess it changes the stress of, of match day from that of this you know unusual phone call to that of opening up the email and seeing where you're matching. I'm glad it's in general positive change so that <laughs> sounds great for the applicants. Yeah I think the only and the other downside I think is the financial there's a little bit more of a financial down downside to it because now we're you know it's it's through an organization so there is a cost associated with it that's a little bit different but I, I don't think it ends up being particularly exorbitant on either end oh I didn't realize that that's good to know changing page a little bit another change that happened this year is that very exciting advanced emergency ultrasound was approved as a designation of focus practice by ABEM uh, which is our governing and boarding organization so could you tell me a little bit about what this change means for people who are ultrasound fellowship trained or who are now just pursuing an ultrasound fellowship. Absolutely, yeah. So this is, I mean, this is definitely huge for the specialty. Uh, and it is also the product of, of years and years worth of many, many um, people in emergency medicine and emergency ultrasound with ABEM. So, you know, 
am really excited about it and and you know my hats off to a lot of people who put in a lot of great work for it um, I think the so the, the historical context here is up until now, um, emergency ultrasound wasn't a true subspecialty or designation, never hold a, held a true status within the realm of ABM or ABMS. It was something that we provided through emergency medicine um, as part of our own um, training, but it doesn't hold a formal fellowship status in the eyes of ACGME. So for, for years, they considered what the appropriate pathway was to go towards it, and they considered true subspecialty status through the ACGME. But the problem with that is it requires a lot of agreement amongst multiple specialties, including you know radiology, cardiology. Other groups do have a say in what becomes a subspecialty. And secondly, it also affects the financial structure of what happens when you work as the fellow. So when you're a fellow under an ACGME-designated program, you end up working as a PGY-4 or 5 or 6, depending on what your year is. The way it works in emergency medicine, most programs now you work part-time as an attending and part-time as a fellow. And so considering all of the components at play, the decision was made to proceed with uh, what's called the designation of focus practice. So up until now, the previous only specialty that had it was hospital medicine. And so they were the first group to obtain this DFP that's designated by the ABMS and then, you know, sort of given by whatever the governing board of the society that you're a member of is. So... For the past several years, um, ABEM has gone through the process of preparing the application, and then this past year really sort of heated up. There were, you know, multiple meetings with AAM and SAM and ASAP. There were letters written. There was phone com- there was phone calls where we petitioned for the DFP acceptance, and in the end, uh, ABEM granted uh, ABMS, and then ABEM granted the DFP for emergency ultrasound. So what this means at the end of the day is now there is going to be a, a certification pathway for emergency ultrasound. Um, again, this is not an ACGME fellowship. So this is a fellowship that is now sponsored and directed by ABEM, but it is but by sort of designating it in this way, what we'll be able to do is is sort of formalize training across the fellowships across the country to make sure that fellows are leaving with the appropriate level of training, that they're being trained in a way that we think is best for our specialty. And I think it'll really sort of lift the, the specialty as a whole. That's a huge change for emergency ultrasound. It really gives us a lot of oomph behind it. Is there any plan going forward to make it an ACGME accredited fellowship? Is that something that's still on the table or does this totally derail us from that path? I wouldn't say I wouldn't think of it as derailing it from the path, but I would think of it as as a group, as a specialty or subspecialty have sort of decided that um, going the ACGME route is not in the best interest of emergency ultrasound at this time. That's not to say that we won't, you know, that won't come up again in the future. I don't. I think it's because because of the fact that it is a fairly new designation. I don't know the stipulations of whether or not it changes your ability to then apply for ACGME subspecialty. I doubt that that's the case. But regardless, I think our decision was to go for the DFP rather than the ACGME at this point. And I, you know, I think we're very excited about the results. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then you, for example, you completed an ultrasound fellowship, but now this DFP is coming in. So what is the plan to credential someone like you who recently graduated? Sure. So yeah, there's a grandfathering um, pathway. And I apologize. I don't I can't remember the specifics off the top of my head. But but anybody who has 
um, been trained in a fellowship in, in emergency ultrasound, as well as people. So there's there's plenty of practitioners, and particularly the forefathers of emergency medicine, forefathers and mothers of, of emergency <laughs> medicine, who did not go through a, a fellowship at all and were sort of self-trained or were trained by um, other entities. That group as well, who are actively involved in what, advanced emergency medicine ultrasound, well, there will be a grandfathering process for them, and they have to apply in, I believe it's the first five years of, of the DFP. And you just show that you have significant, you know, involvement in the community and that you've either done a fellowship or been heavily involved in advanced emergency medicine ultrasound. And then there's going to be a board certifying exam. Oh, I didn't know that. That's great. That's great. This is such a big step for our specialty and in particular ultrasound. So I think it's really, really great. One last change that's happened recently that I can think of in the world of emergency medicine ultrasound is that we are thinking about how how much ultrasound we do in residency and if it's necessary to have these sort of quote-unquote merit badges from external organizations. And I was wondering if you could tell us more uh, about your position on that. Yeah, so I think that from a historical context, when, when emergency ultrasound was just starting, it was important, particularly in for hospital credentialing, that providers were going to their hospital with some form of credentialing, some statement from some organization that said that they had met some requirement that stated that they could perform ultrasound. And so historically, a lot of providers would obtain those credentials so that they could then practice ultrasound within the emergency department in their hospitals. Fortunately, since then, um, ultrasound has sort of blossomed in the field of emergency medicine and in fact um, is now a core component of residency training as defined by the ACGME. So practitioners are leaving emergency medicine residencies now with a core competency in ultrasound. Given that fact, we've sort of reflected back on how credentialing is done and sort of globally as a, as you know a component of emergency medicine we feel that that it is as a part of emergency medicine is something that we should be training we should be overseeing we should be progressing within our own field so thus we've we've sort of altered our stance and are, are looking to um, support external organizations less given the fact that it's just a core component of what we do that said there is a significant portion of our field that left emergency medicine residency without significant ultrasound training. And the question now becomes, how do we get those practitioners up to speed? And it ends up being institutionally very variable. And a lot of it, it will fall in the hands of the ultrasound director or what's now basically, I mean, we're starting to develop huge divisions of ultrasound and emergency departments across the country. So it's going to fall a lot on those on those groups to sort of do that training credentialing within the confines of their own institution. But it's clearly something that we have to think about. And in no way um, do I want to dissuade somebody from getting training in ultrasound if they and if it's something that they're interested in, they, they want to be able to apply to their practice. But I think the place to start looking is within our own specialty. That makes a lot of sense. This sounds not unlike um, RSA's recent stance against merit badges and other forms like PALS and ATLS and ACLS because those are things that we pride ourselves on doing very well in residency training that we feel that our specialty prepares us for. So this sounds somewhat similar. Exactly. A lot of acronyms. So DFP (laughs) good is what we've learned. We like the DFP. Yes, exactly. So DFP is the way to go. We look forward to how it's going to affect the future of emergency ultrasound. That makes a lot of sense. All very good things for our specialty itself, really growing the strength compared to other specialties. For example, radiology does ultrasound, and so I think this shows that this is also part of our practice and an important part of our specialty. 
moving on, I want to talk to you a little bit about the emergency ultrasound section, since you also know a lot about that. I was wondering what educational initiatives that section has ongoing right now. Yeah, so this is our uh, third year of existence. It was started by, by Ryan Gibbons two years ago, and we are, you know, we've been sort of building up our activities. We're really excited for the coming year. This year at the Scientific Assembly, one of the, I think, the, the most interesting things that we are doing actually this afternoon is we are doing an RSA track through the ultrasound section. And we're going to have a keynote speaker, uh, Molly Molfer, who is actually the previous vice president of the section in its first year, who's going to be talking about sort of, you know, life as, a, as a, an emergency ultrasound provider starting a program. Uh, and then we're going to go through and do some hands-on activities and do some ultrasound guided IV and things like that. Looking forward, we're definitely interested in sort of progressing the amount of educational activities that we are providing nationally. And so probably our biggest initiative right now is developing a series of regional ultrasound conferences um, based out of a regional ultrasound day that was done in Philadelphia that was, you know, met with with a lot of excitement. Um, We want to reproduce that model across the country and hoping to partner with the regional AAM organizations to develop that. And we have a lot of ideas about, you know, the ways we can do it. And I think at the end of the day, we'll probably work closely with each organization that wants to do it with us to develop a a regional day that ends up being applicable to their constituents. But that said, I think our our goal at the end of the day is to provide as many AEM members, um, medical students, residents, fellows, attendings, community docs, academic docs, whomever, with the most up-to-date ultrasound knowledge we possibly can. That sounds very exciting. So I remember going to this ultrasound day at Temple and the room, the auditorium was packed. Yeah. People were like sitting in the aisles. It's so popular because I think ultrasound is very accessible for like medical students, for residents, for like vice chairs of departments who never learned how to do it in residency. I think it's a very important part of our education, a very important part of our practice as emergency physicians. And I think everyone is into like the hands-on nature of it. So that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I'm definitely looking forward to it developing, and I you know look forward to being involved as many of them as possible. Also, because I like to travel, so you know, <laughs> get to see the great parts of our country. Exactly. Yeah, that's perfect. And I'm excited about this RSA track because y- last year was the first year we did a RSA exclusive track, and then adding in the ultrasound collaboration now I think is awesome. And then to go along with it, we now have an RSA ultrasound guidebook that you can carry around in your pocket. We're giving them out today. That's awesome. Yeah, I saw those. They turned out great. So, Well, those are all the questions I have for you, I think. Anything else you want to add? No. I mean, clearly, if anybody's interested in emergency ultrasound, has questions, or wants to be involved or, or reach out, I would say definitely to reach out to our organization, um, to the EUS board. We're happy to have anybody involved. Actually, although I don't actually know when this will end up being published. Um, We actually are looking for our RSA chair for our organization right now. So if there's any interest in anybody becoming involved, I would say to definitely reach out and join the section. That sounds awesome. Yeah, so anyone interested in ultrasound, get in touch with them. Maybe you could be on the board. So thank you for coming and chatting with me, Dr. McGee. It was really fun to have you here. Thanks. It was great to be here. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast brought to you by the American Academy of Emergency Medicine Resident and Student Association. For more information about RSA, visit the website at www.aaemrsa.org. Listen to all podcasts in this series and explore the ways you can get involved with RSA. Join us again next episode for another topic of importance for emergency medicine residents and students.